You've been there where you don't want to look at your bank account. You don't want to open up those bills just because of fear of what is waiting for you. Well, in this episode, we have Danette Rivera, who's been there, and she shares what resulted in the lessons that she learned and so much more. Need a judgment-free zone when it comes to your financial life? Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for today's Latina who typically thinks English but feels her Latina culture through and through. I am your host, Jen Hempel, and each week, we have down-to-earth money conversations from people in La Comunidad Latina that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. Lista? Let's do it. Hola, ¿qué tal? How is it going? This is Jen Hempel, your host, and I've got otra super mujer for you to meet. In this episode, you're going to learn what happened after she found herself divorced and filing bankruptcy, as well as the top common mistakes Latinos make in her experience as a money coach and her proudest money moment to date. Let me share with you a little bit about Danette Rivera. She is a business consultant, financial coach, and entrepreneur with over 30 years experience in leadership and personal development. She has trained thousands of individuals in the U.S. and abroad. She is the creator of the Opportunity Training Program, a science-based coaching and training program with measurable results using evidence-based practice standards. Lista? You ready? Vamos a conocer a Danette. Bienvenida, Danette. I'm excited to have you here. Muchas gracias por invitarme. Thank you for, you know, inviting me to be here. I'm excited. Well, I'm honored you are here. You definitely have had a marvelous career. Uh, so I applaud you for that. And such an example for the Latino community, which I love seeing. I love seeing leaders. I love, see, especially Latinas, <laughs> mujeres, <laughs> that are out there just getting things done and setting an example for others because we need that. But First, I wanted to start off with how you grew up. What is your money story? What did you hear? What did you see? What did you experience? So it's interesting because I grew up at a time when we got to be children. Our parents didn't share personal stories. We weren't allowed to be in the room when adults were having serious conversations. And so we weren't privy to some of the financial stories of our parents, but seeing my parents in their work and how they manage things, they were amazing with money. My parents both worked in the U.S. at a time when women didn't have to work, and they ultimately moved to Puerto Rico. They built our home cash. The land was given to mom in inheritance. And so I knew that my parents were very, very good with money. They also dealt their entire life with cash. Occasionally a car loan, but other than that, everything was purchased with cash. And so the lesson I learned from them was that, you know, they did very well. The problem is they never shared it with us. Mm. They didn't teach us how they did it. You know, how, what was it that motivated them? And so I do wish that I had learned that. So we, I was born in Puerto Rico, but we moved to the U.S. and then I grew up in the U.S., for part of my life. And then at 13, we moved back to Puerto Rico and I was there through college. 
met my then husband and became a military spouse and was a military spouse for 20 years. And sadly, during those 20 years, that was a time when the military wasn't worried about helping their their military families with finances. And so we were young and the military moves you and provides you with everything and housing. And, and so we knew nothing about saving, nothing about emergency funds. We sure had a great time <laughs> and we had a lot of fun. But after we left the military, after 20 years, we were doing fine. We purchased a home at our last assignment in New Jersey and we were doing fine, but we never, ever had an emergency fund. We never took savings seriously as a family. And so when I found myself divorced was when I was really struck with the challenges and the difficulties that came from not having a discipline of saving at all. So tell us about that. So you you were a military spouse for 20 years. And after you retired, you mentioned that there was no emergency funds. Were there other type of savings or? Well, I think we always had money in the bank, but it wasn't an intentional. It wasn't like what I call the behavior of saving, right? Mm, mm-hmm. We didn't establish that. It was more, most of the time we both worked. And especially with our last assignment, we were back in the U.S. and both of us able to, he was working and still in the military. And then I was able to get management jobs here in the U.S. And so we were doing very well financially. So we always had money in the bank and we were able to do things and have the things we wanted. And like I said, we had a home and we had our vehicles, but we had no behavior of saving. So it wasn't like we were intentional. We weren't taking money every single month and saying, hey, we're putting away a percentage of our every dollar that we receive because if something happens, which is really crazy because both of our families, our parents were in Puerto Rico. So if something happened to one of them and, you know, over time things did happen. I lost my grandparents and had to get on a plane and fly home to be with my family for those things. But it wasn't something that because we had the money available and we were okay, it never became a problem. It became a problem for me when I found out that he wanted a divorce. And Mm. suddenly I had given up my corporate job to raise our youngest child. And here I was in the midst of a divorce. The child support was designed to pay for the mortgage. So I Mm -hmm. had a roof over my head and he paid the car off, my car. Paid Mm -hmm. that off so I wouldn't have a car payment. But I had no job. So I had to go back into the corporate world and look for a job and start from the bottom, as it happens often. And I just, it led me to having to declare bankruptcy because I couldn't pay the bills. I knew I was going to find myself in economically in a lot of trouble because although I didn't have a lot of debt, when you're limited and you're starting out a new job and you have three children to Mm -hmm. raise suddenly on one income and you're starting over, it wasn't enough to cover everything. So it was very, very difficult. Definitely. And so how did you, so you filed bankruptcy and after that, what happened? How were you finally able to get back on your feet? Well, it's interesting because one of the things that drives me to have so much passion for 
helping people and as one of the two trainers for the state of Delaware's financial coaching programs was that my entire experience because something that I didn't know that I learned much, much later in life was that it didn't make sense for me to declare bankruptcy when I did because after the bankruptcy, I was in no better financial position. I should have waited, had the new job, which I ultimately ended up with a great executive position and things started to move in the right direction. But when I declared bankruptcy, I was in no position to do better. So I declared bankruptcy and the problems continue. I didn't have credit cards and things like that to worry about. But when I say the problems continued is that I couldn't keep up. There were times when we couldn't keep up with the electric bill before all these things happen. And, you know, things like electric bills don't end up on your credit unless you fall behind and are unable Mm -hmm. to pay them. So anyway, over time, I just realized that if you're going to declare bankruptcy, you really need to do it when you're in a position that from that moment on, you're going to be able to do well, because it's really an opportunity for you to start over with a clean slate. And I find that lenders are much more apt to lend to you if they see that, yes, you declared bankruptcy, but for the last year, two years, three years, you've managed your credit wisely, you've done well. And so it makes a huge difference. I didn't know any of that because I didn't know what I didn't know. The military, again, hadn't helped us. And so where was I supposed to get this financial education? And again, I couldn't get it from my parents. Mm. So when you declared bankruptcy or when you went to file for that, because now, from my understanding, is you get some counseling prior to, or am I? Yes. No, absolutely. You're correct. So that's what I love about the fact that when they changed the laws for bankruptcy, because there were people that would declare bankruptcy, accumulate a lot of debt again, and Mm -hmm. declare bankruptcy again in a few years. And so the government wanted to make sure that that stopped. But they also made it where in order for someone to declare bankruptcy, they must go to a counseling service, a legitimate counseling service, and get a certificate. And you have to take some training on money management. And they Mm -hmm. do that to, to try to make certain that when you do declare bankruptcy, that you are going to be able to get back on your feet and that you understand how to manage your money. When I declare bankruptcy, none of that was in place. Makes sense. Okay. Because I'm like, maybe at that time it didn't exist, but I'm something my brain tells me it exists. Now. Yes. Maybe and I'm that's mistaken. great. Okay. Now, somewhere along the line, because you've been doing financial coaching and business coaching. So what drove you? Was it your experience or was there something else that triggered you to do financial coaching? Well, it's interesting because it really came from, it came first from my, my personal experience and knowing that and learning along the way that what gets most people in trouble financially is not having an emergency fund and not having an additional savings account because most emergencies could be averted if you did have some sort of emergency fund. One of the statistics that I share now is that in the most recent statistics I've seen, most Americans can't handle a $400 emergency. And that's that's really terrible. So for me, it was my own experience. But when I really saw the importance of it was when I started working 
as a business consultant and I was doing some volunteer work with the YWCA's microenterprise programs. And we were working with people coming in wanting to start businesses. And I was the only business consultant that always asked the question, how is your credit? And if they indicated that they had a problem, I immediately said, you need to meet with our housing counselors. You have to do something about getting your credit in order. Because my, my feeling was, so we're going to help you write a business plan and put you in business. And then you're going to lose your home or your other assets. And you're going to make a mess out of your personal and business finances. I am so glad you bring this up because I always tell people, I mean, yes, you're in business and that's great and you're there to make money. <laughs> but if you don't have your money together on your in your on the household side, you need to do that, right? You make sure not that you have to do that before you start a business, but you need to have it together because making more money is not going to solve anything, right? <laughs> right. And so I'm so glad you bring that up. Yeah. And the problem is that, you know, in reality, I think that a lot of people's money problems come from the fact that no one's ever really helped people to connect how every decision you make impacts your money. Mm -hmm. And so you start a business and if you haven't planned from the beginning how you're going to handle, at least at a minimum, what kind of money do you need to pay your bills, then it's definitely going to affect your personal finances because suddenly you might have these expenses that relate to your business and you don't have an emergency fund or a savings account. You're not well positioned. And so now you're, you really are taking from one side to pay for the other. And in the end, it snowballs into a terrible financial situation. And I think that that's a terrible disservice to people when we don't insist on helping them. And in the business world, they're going to say, well, you know, we do ask for their tax forms before we lend them, but that's not the point. The point is making certain that they're really ready and mm -hmm. financial coaching and those of us like yourself that do this work, it's, you know, we're here to help them. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. To understand that and why it's so important. Right. I love that. Now, within your work, I presume you've worked with some uh, Latinos, yes. right? So what do you feel? And granted, money is money. What we need to do with the money is the same, whether you're ma a man or a woman or whatever ethnicity you are. But what are some common mistakes that you've seen in our Latino community? Money so, mistakes, I should say. Yes. So I'll share two things that are of great concern. A great part of our community still works with cash. And it, it kind of depends how long they've been here in the U.S. and um, where their influences are coming. But I find at least that with a lot of the populations that we've worked with financial coaching, because we get a lot of individuals that are really struggling, right? And what happens is they're really dealing in cash. So they're not building credit. And at least in the U.S., credit has become how you get judged before you can get many things in life, even a job. So you really, credit has become critical, having good credit. And then the other problem 
that I see is that so they and the saving, they're not necessarily doing a lot of savings and emergency funds, but more importantly, they put themselves at risks and their families financially because people know that as as a culture we tend to have more cash available mm-hmm. and that puts them at risk at crime. And that was happening quite a bit in some states that people knew that these people would have money in their pockets on Fridays. They would get held up and things like that. And so again, money, you know, the decisions we make around money really affect everything. And we're not taught that. Right, right, right. And also, I think to your point on not saving, I think depending on what group or subgroup of Latinos, meaning if you just recently immigrated or just been here in the States, if you're versus the first generation that has lived here in the States, I think that's they're not saving or the especially the ones that just recently immigrated, they're not saving because it's they're helping family, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so, but again, it all depends on that subgroup because we have that different dynamic of recent immigrants, those that are, you know, have been there first generation or someone like me that was born outside of the US, but has been in the US <laughs> longer than I care to share at this point. Right. Uh, so there's those, and with those different subgroups, there's, different dynamics and different levels of understanding because of how long they've been in the country. They're not, the system is different here, right? (laughs) So there's many dynamics which can make things more difficult in terms of uh, educating the Latino community because you have the different needs within the different subgroups. Right. That makes sense. That's what I see. Oh, yeah. And and no, I agree. And now the other thing that we see though, with some of our communities and our Latino communities that have been here in the U.S. for a long time is instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's about having the designer clothes and the designer shoes and really nice cars and other things. Technology, obviously, the latest ad- advances in technology. Hispanics are one of the most active purchasers online and active online. And so there's that problem. Same thing. It's We have to come to understand that the emergency fund is the foundation for everything. It's like building the house. Mm-hmm. And it's so important. Yeah. And I think too, with the instant gratification, especially if you're immigrating or you're moving to the States from outside the country, it's, I think a lot of that because I know being from Colombia, I saw this, the United States is like, like a lot of people talk about the land of opportunity where your dreams can come true, right? So I think, yes. and of course, the the television and everything, what did you watch? Everything and anything that could come from the US, right? <laughs> right? And so you see all those things. So you're like, oh, if I, when, we, we, when we move there, or if we move there, we can have all these things, right? So it's it's interesting. But yeah, that is such a great point. And there's a lot of work to do. But sure I'm glad. Is. I'm glad that you're in it here with me. <laughs> and that's uh we're not alone in this because there's definitely a lot of work to do. Now back to you. So you've had this experience of 
growing up in a household where they didn't talk money, but your parents managed money well. You got married. You were a military spouse for 20 years, and there was no uh, worries about money. There was, from what I understood, no active saving, that sort of thing. And then you found yourself at a point where you were getting divorced, declared bankruptcy, and you know, had to get back on your feet. So what would you say is your the biggest financial lesson you have learned? The biggest financial lesson is definitely going back to this um, recurring theme that we're having, which is the emergency fund and saving in general and investing for your future. Like really, really, I had to take a hard look at what I was doing in the decisions that I've been making about and around money and finally saying to myself, you know what, I don't want to be in this roller coaster ride that happens because I basically bought into a money story that had where there wasn't any any behavior of saving. But it's interesting because I started implementing simple things like saving my change, right? Mm-hmm. And to this day, I don't use my change. So I always pay with dollar bills, right? I pay for money. Mm -hmm. And I do that. And I continue to do that all day. And that change always goes into savings. And then obviously, other monies go into savings and then retirement accounts and things like that. But the reason why I continue to do that is because it's interesting. And I teach this a lot. If you say to yourself when you're when money is tight, well, I'm going to save I don't know, a dollar a day, something that simple. I'm going to save $1 a day. If you're in a tough financial situation, you start doing the math right away, right? Well, I don't know, that's $30 a month and we're struggling and I don't know where that's going to come from, right? Right, right. But when you save change, the change, sometimes you save $5 in a day, right? Mm -hmm. And so it just, I tell people, listen, I don't care if you start saving by picking up the change that you see in the street. If you really feel like you don't have another way to do it, pick up the quarters, dimes, nickels, and pennies that you stumble upon because it's all about creating a behavior of change, of of saving. That's the whole point, right? And once you do and you see your money growing, then you get more disciplined and you say, well, you know what? I can, oh, I can save a little bit more this month. And oh my gosh, I'm almost at this much. Let me add a few more dollars or, you know, and then eventually you have the money to, to invest. And to grow your money passively, right? So we don't always have to work so hard for the money that we earn. Right, right. Love it, love it. How about your proudest money moment? You've been through a lot and you brought yourself, you know, to a successful career and doing well. So what would you say has been your proudest money moment? Well, it's funny because it was, it came to fruition last year, but it started in 2016, I think it was, I had set my sights on this new vehicle that had come out and it was brand new in the market and it's sporty looking and it's, it's an auto cycle. So it's a motorcycle that looks like a sports car. It's amazing. And I saw it and I said to myself, I, I knew I was going to buy a new, a new vehicle for myself. It was time. and. I saw that and I said to myself, I'm going to own that. And I went to the dealership and I got the book with the pictures and I put the pictures around my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I kept, I set it as a goal. And I actually said, next year, when I come to this trade show, I'm going to buy this vehicle. I'm going to own it. And it's Mm -hmm. funny because I shared it with my family. And I think they really looked at me like, yeah, right. I'm going to have to look it up because I'm trying to envision this. It's it's called a slingshot. Polaris slingshot makes it. Polaris makes it. But anyway... And so I started preparing for it. So the first thing I did is I, you know, pulled my credit report, made sure that things were right there, and then started looking at, it really forced me to sit back and look at my income, not the business's income, even though I'm one in the same, so to speak, but I had to really look at that and then say to myself, okay, where do I have to be financially so that I can comfortably pay for this? So I really planned it out and last year in March. So I'm celebrating my first year owning it. Um, Awesome. I'm going to be looking it up. And it was around this time of year. How awesome. And so I actually went to the show and negotiated the purchase and I was able to buy it. And it was the first time just to, to put it in context I have never liked owning a new vehicle. I just so I find that in today's world, the the payments for a car is just so crazy to it me is. that I never wanted to buy one. But when I saw that, I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> have for to. Me. <laughs> I'll have to get into a, a car payment." But I, I feel very, very good about how I went about doing that, and it it just also reiterated the fact that when you establish goals, but you really, really know why you want to something and why it matters and why it's important, right? you really go after it. Definitely. And there is this quote that goes, I'm not going to be able to say it word by word, but it goes something like that mastery is not, doesn't have anything to do with your intelligence, right? But it has more to do with your focus. That's right. right. So it's more about you took pictures, you know, had pictures around your room and you devised a plan and you got to work, right? So it was the focus and the action that you took. That's right. Uh, so that is exciting. Well, Danette, this has been fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. Te agradezco mucho, pero mucho por estar acá. I'm excited that you came on here. And thank you for the example that you set uh, for the Latino community because it's just so much needed. So I appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Thank you very much for having me and keep on doing what you do. Because again, like you said, there's still much work to do. So congratulations. And again, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. What did you think? I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Danette like I did. You can find and connect more with Danette over at DanetteRivera.com and I'll make sure to have the link in the show notes and today's show notes. So be sure to check those out. So really, what was your favorite part of this conversation? For me, I loved how transparent she was about when she was married and how they really weren't paying attention to their money. They took care of their bills, but never really had any savings. And Most people get down about this, right? Well, where they think we don't have the money, we haven't been saving, it's too late for us. But she made it happen and significantly improved her financial life. And I love that because if you are in this position where maybe 
you haven't been saving and you feel like it's too late, it's never too late. And Danette is a living testament of this. So I've told you my favorite part, my aha, my takeaway, but it's your turn. What was it for you? I would love it if you would share it in our community on Facebook. If you haven't joined already, you can simply go to jenhemphill.com forward slash comunidad. Next week, Solo Somos Las Dos is just the two of us. And we're going to be exploring the statistic, the fact that by 2060, Hispanic or Latina women are expected to make up 30% of the U.S. female population. And that is significant. So we're going to explore what this means for us and of course for our denatal. So that is a wrap for today. I want to thank Danette for joining us, for sharing her story. You can check out the brief show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash HDM26. So that is jenhemphill.com forward slash HDM26. Also, don't forget if you love this episode or if you love the Her Dinero Matters podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would share, even subscribe, even leave a review uh, for this podcast. And when you share this, for me, that's the biggest piece. If you share this podcast or this episode with a friend, with a stranger, with a coworker, uh, a family member, you never really know what position they are in financially. Because sometimes we say we're okay when we're not okay. Or we say we're fantastic when we're really in a bad financial spot. So you never really know that something from this particular episode is what they need, the push, the inspiration to keep them moving forward. So thank you. Muchas gracias por estar acá. Thank you for being here. Y nos hablaremos el próximo viernes. And we will talk next Friday. Ciao.